Hello everyone and welcome back to the Total 90 podcast. On this episode we're discussing the Arsenal and Manchester United rivalry, mainly concentrating on the heydays uh, of 1997 through to 2005 era. Uh, On this episode I'm joined by Owen, Leon and we've also got Leon's friend who's called Leon aka Reedy, who's an Arsenal fan. So it was just nice to have a good balance of uh, supporters of both teams. Now, this episode was recorded a while back on 8th of September 2021. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoy it. Evening, gentlemen. How are you? Yeah. Um, just for the audience sake, um, to clarify, we got our usual guests on ONAK Cube and also... Leon, but we do have another Leon on as well. <laughs> so we're going to um, christen him uh, Reedy for this episode. So if you do sometimes hear us talk about uh, Leon and Leon, that's probably why. Um, I think I sent you guys the, obviously, the, I, I say details, I say this every week, but yeah, we're going to talk about Arsenal and uh, United rivalry. But before we get into the day Arsene Wenger came in, Leon, are you okay to give us a quick rundown between 92 and 96? Yes, I sure am. I sure am. Um, I mean, you know, prior to there being that sort of great rivalry in the Premiership, um, Man United obviously won the the inaugural um, Premier League um, and it took a while for Arsenal to sort of become more prominent. Um, You know, initially they came into that league with George Graham, who was more of a pragmatic manager. Um, We're trying Nick goals or Nick wins, sorry, by the odd goal um, and prided himself on a strong defence. Um, they had actually won the league, I think, three seasons before that in 89. I'm not 100% sure you'd have to double check that. Yeah, it was um, that in 89, mate. It was like the last... The against last, Liverpool, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, last game of the season, wasn't it? It was there, yeah. Yeah, I think they won 2-0, I think. I think. And that's without me checking the internet, you know. That's just my memory. Uh, <laughs> I'm a closet Arsenal fan. Um, and... <laughs> and uh, also, then I think they trend, they think they won the Cup Winners' Cup in 92. Um, they were sort of built to be a cup team more than a title force. Um, and they were sort of finishing around for fifth, sixth and seventh um, in the league table. Um, and then obviously, I think George Graham was sacked for betting on his own matches um, around that time. That, yeah, yeah. He was, because um, he was, basically he was putting bets on, on um, I don't think it was his own matches, actually. I think it was other matches um, and he got caught. And I think reluctantly he sort of left Arsenal, and then you got your interim, which was Bruce Rioch, um, which arguably made the best signing for you guys. Then it's Burkamp in your history, um, but I think that season he finished seventh as well. But I think everybody kind of knew he was sort of keeping that seat warm for Arsene Wenger, um, and then obviously roll on to the to the I wouldn't say present day, but 1997 um, when Arsene Wenger did come in, and he did make a big, big um, introduction into the Premier League because um, not a lot of people knew a lot about him, but he kind of revolutionised um, the Premier League. Um, I don't want to go on too much. We're going to discuss yeah, that later in the podcast. Before, before we go any further, because I think that'll that'll probably be the first thing we discuss anyway. A um, couple of things, Leon. Uh, one thing I thought you would have mentioned is uh, the 95-96 season with the uh, Keegan blowing up on the radio. Was it? What was it? Like he would love oh, it. 
Do you know? Do you know? Do you know why I, I, I kind of left that actually? Because I thought we were strictly talking about Arsenal, Man United. Sorry. Yeah, I, th- I thought you'd get it in there still, but yeah, that's why sorry, I just mate. wanted to mention it because I know sorry, a lot yeah. of Newcastle fans. So. I throw yeah, in so... one correction too. There, just I know yeah. I wouldn't put it past George Graham to place a few bets, but that wasn't why he was let go. What was it? What was it? I wasn't one hundred percent sure actually. He he took a, a gift of about four hundred grand, I think it was, or something, for the transfer. Of um, that was who, it, yeah. Who yeah it was yeah, some yeah. player, some player they got, and on the side, he took some money apparently. Come yeah, that was it. That makes more sense. Sense. Here. you know, uh, millions to, of uh, to to, to, to actually just, just to go back actually in that era, Man United won uh, between 92 and 96, Man United won four Premier League titles and two FA Cups. Um, we did the double twice as well. Um, and you know, that's how successful we were under the, the first part of um, Fergie's reign just to give you complete context between where the two sides were and how we became such rivals over that, that period of time. Yeah, so you, I think you alluded to it before, well, you started touching up on it anyway in terms of Arsenal's arrival. I think it was uh, September 96, if I'm not mistaken, Arsenal boys? Yeah. 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 Um, Reedy, do you want to do the honours? Or Leon mentioned some <laughs> things there. I just wanted to ask you, what. obviously you arrived in 96, Leon mentioned... Uh, he came from Japan, Japan, didn't he, guys? Yeah. yeah was Grandpa say in Japan? Yeah. Yeah, that sounds yes. right. How, That's the one. The first question I wanted to ask the Arsenal boys is how was he received? Because I can't really remember that. Were like the fans loving it or like were they like, what is going on? I think uh, no one the media? knew. No one knew who he was, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, yeah. He, he, he came in, he's this foreign face. You know, I think he'd only been with Monaco in Europe. Yeah, um, you know, and hadn't had much success with them. Then off to Japan. I mean, he's he's coming to Arsenal, which you know, as Leon outlined there, maybe they weren't fighting for the title, but you know, one of the still at the time, you know, for their longevity and history, biggest teams in England and one of the biggest leagues in the world. And you've got this manager coming in from nowhere, really, in blunt terms, that nobody knew about. So I think for most of the Arsenal fans, it was a sense of who are you? <laughs> I don't even know, should I be disappointed or happy? <laughs> you know? Well, I think you came in with that kind of that ilk of being the professor. And I think like kind yeah, of yeah. fullness of time, like that scene is a kind of playing up his attributes. But I think that was actually like a bit of a kind of like criticism and diss of him, wasn't it? Where he's like this kind of like lean guy, got his glasses on, like, you know, looks like a bit of a bookworm, but like, as you say, people were going like, who is this guy? Like, does he even know what he's talking about? Like, you know, and he was very kind of like, I don't say introverted, but kind of like, you know, very pensive and very reflective character. Like he wasn't like this larger than life character. So yeah, I think a lot of the fans were like going like, who is this guy? Like what's, what's going on here? I think it was contrast to um, a couple of things to touch on there, Cube. I think uh, most of the, English fans were used to big characters like uh, who was the Morris legend? Um, oh, uh, Brian Clough. Clough, that's it, yeah, Clough. Uh, yeah, like uh, people like that, and obviously even Fergie was quite a strong character. Um, so, and I don't think again, you guys will have to correct me. We didn't have that many foreign managers at the time, right? Wenger was one of the first. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, there wasn't there wasn't loads like there is now, no. One of the key things I asked you guys, uh, 
how was the appointment received? You think in current Twitter age, how how many do you think uh, fans, not even rival fans, how many Arsenal fans do you think would have written off Wenger before he even arrived? Um, 90%. <laughs> <laughs> you have to think about how, how strange it was. I mean, you would never see anything like that now. You know, I mean, you had, I can't remember his name, the new Celtic manager who came in from, I think he's Australian. Um, but, I mean, nowadays in the Premier League, you're not going to have um, an unknown manager arrive where nobody knows who he is coming from outside of Europe. And if it did occur, <laughs> you know, as you alluded to Twitter, everything would explode and you'd probably have fan protests out there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Leon, you mentioned about um, him revolutionising the English game. I think that's what I was saying before what you mentioned. Do you want to elaborate a little bit more on that now and I'll let it jump it over to the Arsenal boys. I'm sure they've got plenty to say. Well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, from a fan from the outside looking in, um, it was just in terms of the way that their players trained, um, the way they played. You know, I think that's when we really saw the transition from footballers just being footballers to actually being professional athletes. Um, you know, in terms of nutrition, um, there was a lot of things that um, Arsene implemented at the club, which a lot of other managers then followed suit in doing. Um, it was also in terms of the way that he played with his inverted wingers, with Pires coming in, because normally we were very used to that sort of old-fashioned winger. Um, and the way Pires used to play and um, come from the inside and sort of link up with Henri, was, it was quite unique at the time. Um, even Jungberg to a certain degree as well, because he wasn't really a typical winger. He would sort of cut in and he'd score a lot of goals. Um, it was also his ability to find gems in the transfer market. Because um, I think at the time we were very sort of used to buying players from from Britain. Um, we'd go occasionally for the odd player abroad. But he was picking up players that Vieira, um, Canu, Omri, um, I can't even think of any others. Petit. Um, I can't think of any in the first era. There's so, there's so many like throughout the whole, yeah. There was, there was, there was Fabregas, yeah. Um, And I think he, in yeah, I think he was the first person who sort of changed the way the the Premier League was and the way that we saw footballers and how they became athletes, even in terms of their style of play. Because as it pains me to say this, in that sort of era, I think Arsenal played the best football I'd ever seen at the time. Um, the one touch, intricate, um, movement was incredible. Um, and they were they were a very formidable team. Yeah, Q, your thoughts, mate. I know uh, I used to often uh, kind of simp- simplify it when I would try and wind you up by saying all he bought is pasta and a bit of scouting. But uh, but no, serious talk. What, what's your like? Well, I, I, did, that? I definitely agree with that. I think probably the 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 transfer market stuff and the condition. I think is um, kind of widely known and accepted i guess probably things are building that would say like the way that he was able to develop like players so we talked about you know buying people who you know weren't necessarily well-known players but i think that is his ability to be able to develop players as well because there's loads of players who who have left arsenal that have gone on to do absolutely nothing i think that's testament to wenger's kind of skill of being able to create a system that allows him to get the best out of the players that he's got, but also be able to develop players as well. Um, and then probably the other thing I'd say, and it's because I was reading an interview by him, because he, he talked about effectively the development of like structure in your club and the way that you run your football club as like 
a proper organization and the values that you run your organization with as well. And I think we were talking about it when we were having the chat about Barcelona and like Barcelona as an example is a, is a club that has got very clear kind of values and ethos running through the club. I think you would say that about Man United at their peak as well as that, like, you know, when Man United do well, it's because they're, the way they're playing is aligned to their values. And I think that's what Wenger brought in was like that ethos and a set of values about how he wants his teams to play. Um, that's gone up by the wayside a little bit in recent years, to be honest. <laughs> Reedy, uh, you beat me you too. Got any, you got anything to add to that, Reedy? I'd agree with all of that. I suppose the other thing I'd mention is the the more the off the field, you know, the the diet. Yeah. Like you have to think when he arrived. I mean, to be blunt, that Arsenal team half of them were alcoholics, you know, <laughs> and that was common throughout the Premier League back then. You'd have a drink before and after the game, and. I think about six of them he pushed into rehab. And not only that, the diet side of things, like there was players for the first time ever where they were being told they couldn't smoke. And then, you know, once he came in and did that and had the success he did immediately the next season with the double, that then, you know, transgressed across the whole rest of the league where everyone copied suit. Yeah, the thing about rehab's interesting because obviously you're talking about that from a kind of a, like a dieting point of view and stuff and, and, getting players ready for peak performance. But I think as well, it's something that Ronaldo said about Ferguson, isn't it? About him being a father figure. Whereas it's like, I think Wenger almost saw like, yeah, you need to be conditioned as an athlete, but actually like, how do I get the best out of you as a person as well? And I think he didn't really see any distinction between you as an athlete and you as a player and you as a person. Mm -hmm. I think it's, he was probably the first person who really thought about that in terms of like, getting the most out of his players. And I think that's something that Alex Ferguson was good at as well. Um, but I think Wenger was the innovator of that. Yeah, um, let's, uh Let's move on, because I think, uh, in all honesty, at his prime, he was definitely like one of a kind, wasn't he? He brought a lot of things in, and I think uh, you can't say it lightly how much he revolutionised the English game specifically. Um, but let's uh, move on to some of the big games between the two. Um, any any come to mind straight away, Reedy, that you might want to bring up? Any games, any clashes? Um, Battle of the Buffet or Pizza Gate? <laughs> <laughs> There's three that stand out for me, I suppose. The the Pizza Gate one, um, where United uh, took away our unbeaten run, painful as it is to say. Um, the the one earlier, the the season earlier. Um, I can't remember what the nickname for it was now, but with the, the Keown and Van Nistelrooy incident. Oh, when he missed the penalty in the last minute. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and, the, the, top, yeah. Yeah, and the Vieira red card. Um, and then I suppose the, the FA Cup won a game as well, the replay, since it was the last ever FA Cup replay. And, you know, obviously the Giggsy goal made it stand out. So th those three would be the big games that stood out to me. I think for me, the biggest one is the... The, the draw, the Van Nistelrooy Keown. I think that that game, you know, in terms of emotion, had everything. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you know one you've missed actually, Leon? Which are, for me and maybe more Man United fans is the the four two at Highbury, um, and it wasn't so much about the game. It was actually Roy Keane's conduct in the tunnel. Um, I mean, every time I watch that clip, it still gives me goosebumps. Um, and it, it's everything that Man United were in that moment. Um, they were a unit, were a team. Um, we look after one another on and off the pitch. 
um, and just the way he sort of responded to Vieira in the tunnel. And he shook him up. You could see Vieira was shaken up. Um, and that's why for me, and I don't think I'm being biased, Keane was the best captain in the Premier League era. Um, and he encapsulated that in that, that one moment for me. Um, you know, the game itself, you know, we won 4-2. Uh, which was good, but uh, it wasn't as good. <laughs> it's, really, it's really interesting you see that one, Leon, because I had I, I had the um, the FA Cup final that year as well, because the, and that's that's the context of the fact that you guys beat us four two and effectively outclassed us in that game. But then we came back in the the FA Cup final, and that was one of Wenger's kind of because um, he doesn't he doesn't get a lot of credit for you know I'm not trying to say he's a tactical genius, but he he brought in the four five one in that FA Cup final, and it was like the most like kind of almost like anti-Arsenal performance ever where it was like Man United absolutely dominated the game. We held on and we won on penalties. Um, so that was one that I always remember as like, yes, you're right. Like we got beat 4-2 at Ivory, but then we kind of came back and won the FA Cup final that year as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like like the way you got back on me there, Keith. Nice one. <laughs> <laughs> I like the research. I'm like, he's going to mention this one. I'll get him going. <laughs> I think uh, you know what I, I've got Petergate written down, but uh, I, I forgot that that was in the um, game that uh, we basically took away your. It, it was forty nine games, wasn't it? And it was yeah. the fiftieth game where you know what I used to. Uh, obviously, Q will know this very well. The fact that Rooney actually dived to break that as well. And now I look back, I think actually I would have probably preferred him to like get the goal properly, but the fact that he dived. And broke that record, like basically took took the uh, unbeaten record away from you. I used to uh, kind of hold that over a lot of Arsenal fans, and it would drive them wild. Like if you just send them that link, I, I think back in the day when that happened, obviously you didn't have the the gifts and things like that. But I could imagine that being sent to a lot, sending a, a lot of Arsenal fans over the edge. And it's not just the not just the dive in that game that really stabbed me in the heart. <laughs> you know, it was the, it was the fact that Arsenal dominated it, and Van Nistelrooy should have had a red card for the challenge on. I think it was Ashley Cole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and the dive. It was just like everything and everything on top of it. <laughs> wasn't wasn't that also the game when literally the Neville brothers um, committed um, it, um, assault on um, Reyes? Yeah, 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 pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> like, they were literally just kicking him the whole game. Yeah. I don't so think that it was, was just that game, man. I think it was just that season. Like, yeah, true. Like, but specifically, like, that what they, they were going into him that game from memory. I think they were like just kicking him every time they got close to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just remember like them targeting him every time we played just because, uh, you know, he, he clearly was a very, very talented player. But I'm guessing they must have had intel is like... He, Basically, I think this might be simplifying a little bit, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong. Like, uh, and if there's a better way to say it, like he might be a little bit soft when it comes to receiving tackles because Ronaldo was a bit like that when he came over to us. Obviously, that the, we're not talking about that era, but he had uh, the same issues, and our players used to like kick the shit out of him in training, didn't they? Like, I'm talking about uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, yeah, 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 Queen Keane and Skulls and all that, yeah, just toughen him up a bit, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it looks like, unfortunately for Reyes, um, yeah, the Neville's got to him before uh, Vieira and them could toughen them up, unfortunately. But, um, I'm trying to see if I've got any other games listed. Uh, FA Cup semi-final you mentioned as well. Actually, I got an Arsenal one, which uh, I'm surprised you boys um, missed. Uh, 
the game at Old Trafford that you guys won the title with, Will Todd. Silver Will Todd, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That that was a big one because obviously, yeah, you, uh, it's never nice to see uh, your biggest rival come come to your stadium and win the win the title. You know, um, CL uh, Champions League quarterfinals. Another one comes to mind because you always see that goal where um, Park Rooney and um, Ronaldo. Oh, mate, that's yeah, oh, one of the best. Goals, have nightmare. I have nightmares about that goal, man. Like that's just you could just see it happen as well. Like that was the. I think you know. Took we see like the men against boys type thing, but you could just see like. You just shout at the telly like like foul one of them just just foul them like do you mean you could just see it happening but we to be fair though naive, to like... be to, to be fair that game was not when you were so good though I think that was in yeah, two thousand nine wasn't say, it I mean just to kind of set the expectations for the audience as well we're probably going to be concentrating mostly from say uh, 96-97 to about two thousand and five era because yeah I think the Champions League um, I mean. You can talk about the eight-two game and things like that as well. But I would say that's <laughs> at that point it was, uh, yeah. Uh, I think United had pulled away by then. I love so Z getting his shots in, like, oh, I could, I could mention the eight-two game, but I won't. But definitely mention, mention the eight-two game. Like, it's a fuzzy uh, line, mate. It's a fuzzy I, line. Two thousand and five. Actually, I'm pretty sure the six-one was in two thousand and one. So that's in the era, right? Uh, Step yeah. the boss, him. <laughs> I've got I've got a um, a bit of a memory blank, mate. I can't remember that game. Like, oh yeah, I think uh, like any manager, Arsen did sign some absolute stinkers like Senderos and uh, I can't even pronounce the guy's name. That Stepanovs. You Stepanovs. Yeah, but the, the thing is, though, they were low risk, weren't they? So he wasn't spending much money on them. Have you? Yeah. I presume you know the story of I think it was the Stepanov signing, um, whereby they brought him in for a trial. And the Arsenal team had decided that they wanted to wind up, wind up Dennis Burkamp for a laugh. So they spent the entire week congratulating and celebrating every pass and every tackle that Stepanov's made anywhere near Dennis Burkamp. <laughs> and as a result, at the end of the week, Arsene Wenger saw this player being celebrated by all the players and thought, geez, they love him. They, they must, he must be a really top player. He's had a great week. All the players love him, signed him. He showed up training on the Monday. And Ray Parler turned to him and said, you know, what are you doing here? He also just signed a you know, three-year contract. <laughs> Ray Parler bursts out laughing, has to go to Wenger to find out what's happened and finds out that Wenger had fallen for the practical joke as well. <laughs> I think I've read that somewhere, but I didn't realise it was... I'm, uh, just, step I'm just reading that now. Jesus, I can't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely... <laughs> I, I mean, don't know what to say about that. It's you know... Bad. Yeah, one of the one of the top stories for a signing, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think um, just to quickly go back to one of the incidents you guys mentioned, because for years we never knew Pizza Gate, like who threw the pizza, and then uh, it came out, didn't it? It was a uh, Cesc Fabregas, wasn't it? Like I think he was yeah, only eighteen at the time. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it would have been the last person I, I would have guessed that would have thrown that pizza. Who we who we hit top three like Jimmy? Like, my top three. Uh, I would have probably thought Keon. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I would probably say uh, what do you call it, Vieira? Like he could get a bit feisty, couldn't he? Yeah, got... but mate, it's like the difference between being feisty and chucking pizza. Like, yeah, you know well, I mean? like, like... you're probably thinking, yeah, he's lost his head and he's just slung whatever's in his hand. <laughs> Not like. 
obviously when you hear it's uh it was Cesc Fabregas the image is probably closer to there's loads of people in the tunnel he's hiding away in the corner throwing a little like little pizza at whoever he can <laughs> little teenager at the back yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Can, I, can I ask you can I uh, um Cube and um and Leon uh Reedy what, what do you think about um Kian's actions towards Rude in that nil-nil when he missed the penalty in the last minute do you think he was out of order <sighs> I, I think personally that um, I, I think a small bit of it was a kind of accidental, you know, I think that he ran over <laughs> to jump and celebrate over him. But I think the way his arm sort of came down hitting him was not intended. I'm not, and obviously I'm, I don't think it's justifiable to run over celebrating in someone's face, but I don't think he meant to go that far. If you get me, even though he is a madman. But certainly, I don't think you can justify that in any situation. But I think that's like to me. So, I mean, it, 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 it's a loaded question, but it's a it's a great question, isn't it? Because I guess that's the this is the rivalry that rivalry that you don't really get nowadays because it's kind of like so many different teams who might win or whatever. Whereas, like in, in that era, it was like Man United and Arsenal were like the teams, and therefore the rivalry was like so intense. And you talked about like Roy Keane kind of like psyching out Patrick Vieira, but it was like. You know, it it was all about like effectively having like you know, like physically dominating each other. Really, wasn't it? Like it was like you guys are not going to like physically intimidate us. So, and that was, I mean, yeah, it was out of order, definitely. But like, I suppose you know, at the time, like I was probably loving it as an Arsenal fan. Like, do you know what I mean? Because it was like you know, you guys probably gave as good as you got. If you know what I mean, in that in that era as well. Yeah, we got yeah. our own back anyway on the forty ninth game when Rooney uh, tripped over himself. <laughs> um, before we move on from the games etc and incidents and all um, some of the goals I just want to talk about some of the goals man, like from that era like um, like a couple of them come to mind straight away um, I'll talk about the Arsenal one first that one that Henri scored you know when he uh, flicked it up and it was yeah, Bartes and goal yeah. I mean to be fair Bartes did want to play like Sweep a, like sweep a keeper before it was even invented. So Henri must have known him from like the national team and just knew he was going to be a few yards out. But that trip, like the way he executed it, my ideas like I don't know about you guys, like I tried that in the <laughs> in the park so often, and it's one that I could just never get right. Like actually get it on target or get a goal off it. I think that's a goal that every single kid was trying to repeat ever since. You know, it it was beautiful. It was like twenty five yards roughly out. I mean, the vision and that first touch and the the placement and the power of the strike to get it right in the top corner. I think one of the goals that will always be remembered in the Premier League, not just between Arsenal and United. Yeah. I think it's like the audacity of it as well. It's like you're right, like the kind of the vision and the execution of it, but like the kind of you you against like your main rivals at the time to even like comprehend trying that like. It's just outrageous, like, and then having the almost like matching that with the kind of like the the technical capability in execution. It's just like, yeah, it's probably one of the best goals, really. Like, I can't really think of a better goal from an Arsenal player. Yeah, no, yeah, uh, yeah, it was a magnificent goal. To be fair, it's probably one of the like in terms of if you're just taking into account technique and how hard it is and who they're playing. I would say it's probably one of the top, like. 10 goals of the Premier League era if not like one of the top three something like that it's really yeah. high up in my uh, 
And who was the center half, Mark? You've got to hold that center off, center half off whilst you're doing that as well. And I don't know. Do you know who I think it was? I think Gary Neville was filling in that day. <laughs> no, no, I actually think he was playing the center back. It was either, either him or Ronnie Johnson. I'm not sure. Um, Gary Neville wouldn't sleep. You want to get on YouTube and quickly have a look whilst we're uh, talking about goals. I'll tell you another one. Um, and let's talk about the game a little bit more in detail because uh, it was a two-legged game, wasn't it? The FA Cup semi-final. Um, no, because it was the replay, wasn't it? You're talking 1999? Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. It was like yeah, the replay because yeah. the yeah, first yeah. game uh, ended up in a draw. Yeah, yeah. Second, was it the second game that Dennis Burkham missed that penalty? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because uh, I think somebody got sent off as well, didn't they, for Arsenal? Kino. Oh, no, for us, was it? Yeah, for yeah. us. Yeah, Kino got sent off. Uh, Burkham missed the penalty and then, um, yeah, Reedy or Cuba, do you guys want to talk us through that uh, Giggsy goal? <laughs> no, I'll let Leon do that one. Oh, oh, why? Thank you. <laughs> actually, you know, you know what's funny? Yeah, Sorry, Z. It, this is actually my favorite game ever in my entire life. Um, it, it had absolutely everything in terms of goals, fouls, excitement, um, red cards, penalties in the last minute, penalty saves. It was electric. It was an absolute electric game. And it was nail-biting because you never know who was actually going to come out on top. Um, even when we we're down to 10 men, you know, we thought we were still in it. It was, for me, that just depicted the two best teams at that time, literally going toe-to-toe. Um, you know, there wasn't really much in it between the two teams. And as you saw, it took a bit of magic from Giggs to win it in the end. But it was it was an epic game. Um, his goal, I mean, I think I, I was watching it. I mean, I was almost in tears when, when Bergkamp had the penalty. Um, I was 13 at the time, just for context. Um, and I remember Vieira just, I think he passed it to him. It was a bit of a lazy pass and he just sort of went on a mazy run and I was like, go on, go on, go on. And before you know, he's in goal and you're just running around in your living room with your top off as well in ecstasy and the adrenaline is pumping. It was, it was unreal. It really was. Um, that that for me is my favorite pre- favorite game ever, ever, because um, it it meant so much as well to trouble. I think that really cemented to the players that we're going to do this now, because I know we got a lot of luck, but we were ten men down. You missed a penalty in the last minute of the game, and then Kigsey scores that worldie. It was just like it was meant to be. Yeah, I think uh, with that goal as well. <laughs> It feels like it's almost a little bit more uh, iconic, obviously, apart from the fact that it's an absolutely ludicrous goal against, like, at the time, obviously, our main rivals. And I would say we were the top two teams in in the Premier League. Um, Giggsy, like, taking off his shirt and bearing his, like, <laughs> bare, like, chest everyone. Everyone was like, what is that? <laughs> like, I don't think anybody expected Giggsy to, like, have a... That, I love like, I love that's what Z is about the goal. Like, <laughs> like that's like giving like a good ten minute like analysis of like just how magic goal. This guy's a bit hairy. Like, <laughs> I just remember because every time like whoever, like anytime somebody took off their their top in the playground since then they would just be called Giggsy after that because if they were like he had more chest, one of the more hair in the chest than on his head. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, about luck, Leon. Um, Who? Like you mentioned, like we got a bit Sorry. of luck. Yeah. Um, what I find interesting about both teams, um, uh, like I would say the 
the greatest achievement for both of those teams ever. Ours is the treble, and Arsenal's is, would you say, uh, the Arsenal boys going in, Vince, like going unbeaten for the full season? Has to be. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And both of those things, the other team had such a good chance to basically stop it from happening. Like we've just spoken about the FA Cup game where basically we were 10 men down. You guys had a last minute penalty. Um, for you guys, if I'm not mistaken, the whole game where Keon was jumping on top of uh, Van Nistra after missing the penalty, that was the season you guys went unbeaten, wasn't it? Correct. Yeah. yeah, and I think that game finished in a draw, if I'm not mistaken, as well. I, yeah. I, I don't. I don't think it was the season. Actually, they Whoa. broke two records. No, you broke. You broke. That was 2002. Was that in that 2002, 2003 season, or was that 2003, 2004? I think they went uh, unbeaten because they did. They did. They did two records. They did. They did. A, they did a record where they went a whole season away, and then the season after they went the whole season undefeated. In their away record ourselves like two two games ago no and i remember them doing it. i can't remember the years, years wrong it was right. 304 because that game was part of the undefeated run and then the following season early in the season we lost the undefeated run to you okay okay yeah no i remember because that used to really hurt me I, I was so annoyed at van nistroy for missing that penalty not because he missed the penalty specifically but because he let arsenal go and beat and that, that that's the way i looked at it. that's how warped i was at like my teens but yeah it's just interesting that both rivals had a like a similar situation to take away that you know momentous achievement that each team had um just whilst we're on the topic, boys, uh, for more for the Arsenal boys, I think I, I'll ask the question to Leon as well, like uh, later on. But would you boys swap the treble, like uh, for the Invincible? Like, would you prefer Arsenal to have won the treble ahead of the Invincibles? Is that like a silly question? <laughs> it's, like, I don't think it's a silly question, is it? Because I guess it's it's because if you like, because we haven't won the Champions League, have we? Like, so sorry, I didn't hear that. Did you say that again, sorry. It was Z was saying, um, <laughs> would you would you swap the treble for the invincible run? No, no, no it's the, like the part the, where you have the Champions League part. <laughs> Sorry, what? No, the, the Europe doesn't matter, yeah. Like, it's only it's only domestic shit, yeah. We won the European Cup. You just renamed it. That's all. <laughs> ah, yeah, I suppose, yeah. But still, I mean, that was the thing, like, because Wenger like had his because he said, didn't he, like his all time ambition was to kind of go a season undefeated, and it like it is it's. It's a difficult, isn't it? Because it's like that is an immortal thing. Like you know, it'll be if we see that again in our lifetime, like in the Premier League, like you know, it'll it'll be insane. Whereas like obviously trebles, like people do trebles, don't they? But then, you know, we talked about it last time on the pod, didn't we? About like how competitive like the Champions League was at the peak. Like so, you know, it's yeah, <laughs> and the and the way that you won it in um, was it ninety nine. Like to kind of steal it, like effectively, like in, in like a few minutes of madness. Like it's just, yeah, you, you think, won't like you'll have those memories forever as well, won't you? So it's, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a great remember question. Remember, but... when you're saying about the treble, United '99 was the first treble, not just in the English game, if I'm not mistaken, in any of the major European yeah. leagues. So United were the first team to get the three main, like the league, the main cup, and the European cup. Uh, even in terms of when the Champions League was called European Cup, I don't think anybody did the treble, did they? I don't know from memory. No. But... 
Right. Sure. I think for me, though, I mean, you couldn't trade that undefeated season, you know, uh, in, in the sense of we think about who's won the Champions League when, and yes, the treble's an amazing achievement. But, you know, from an outside perspective, if you're not a United or an Arsenal fan, I think the undefeated season will stand out more in people's memories than the United treble. Mm, I don't know about that. I'm really surprised that you guys have not only said you wouldn't take it, but actually put a. Oh, I, I would, that that was a bit of a throwaway like question. If I'm being honest, boys, I'm really, <laughs> really shocked that you guys would actually pick the. Invincibles yeah. I think the only thing that tempts me is that Champions League title, but I, I just an undefeated season is so unique. You could, you might win the Champions League two, three times. I mean, we haven't, but teams. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my, my, my mic's going out of service. What, what was that? Sorry, Liam? I said the team could win the Champions League two, three times, but, you know, they might never go undefeated. You know, the, the interesting thing is that, that the treble season for United, United actually lost less games overall than Arsenal did in the undefeated season. It's yeah, just, I was going to bring that up, actually. It's true. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it's, it's all a matter of luck where you drop the games and that, but... An undefeated season, hard to repeat. I think it's like the undefeated season, it's got a couple of blemishes against it, hasn't it? In terms of what you mentioned there, as in United, and there's other few teams as well. And Josie used to love pointing one out that um, his team got like a higher points ratio by far compared mm. to the well, a lot of teams have since then. But like that's one of the ones that Josie used to point out. No, I'll tell you why I'm a little bit shocked, boys, that you've. Um, have actually chosen the uh, invincible season over having a treble, mainly because you guys haven't won the champion. Like, and this is not me, obviously <laughs> taking the mic, but you guys haven't won the like the Champions League. Like, if you guys had won it, like say one of the seasons, and you've got it there, then I wouldn't have. I would have thought, okay, maybe that would be a debate. So that's why I'm a little bit surprised that you guys haven't bitten the hands off there in terms of if you had the chance to swap. Interesting, interesting. Uh, anything else to say on that matter? Do you want me to ask the question again? I can edit it out and you guys can just say that. <laughs> I, 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 can I just say something? I think what Arsenal did was incredible. Um, you know, to go for a whole league season undefeated, I know they, I think they had 10 draws in that season, but regardless of that, yeah. this league is one of the toughest leagues in the world and everything is thrown up against you in that period of time, especially a team like Arsenal at the time when people were just going out to kick them. And to to go undefeated is, is incredible feat. It really is. And that's testament to, to Arsene Wenger and the team. Um, however, I, I don't think it's bigger than the treble. Um, I do want to finish on that note. Um, winning three trophies, losing only three games in a whole season, playing teams like Barcelona, Bayern Munich. Our FA Cup run was incredibly hard as well. We played Chelsea, played Arsenal, Liverpool. Um, I think it's a feat that's going to be unmatched in England as well. I know we always hear about City doing a quadruple. But you can see how hard it is because no one, no, no team in in the Premier League era has won a Premier League and a Champions League in the same season other than Man United. It's so difficult. Um, so for me, I just think the the treble slightly edges it because of the the difficult factor of being playing on so many different competitions and trying to maintain that level throughout the different competitions. Um, and as Leon alluded to, we only lost three games that whole year. Yeah, I think uh, just to quickly add on, sorry, Reedy, I'll let you jump in there. Uh, 
just to what Leon added, uh, I think the fact that it was the first treble in like all the top leagues in Europe since then, obviously Barcelona went nuts and won like a couple of trebles. Um, yeah. Bayern Munich have done it as well. Uh, I think even Inter did it, but United were the first team to do it. I think that adds a little bit extra shine and you are right. I think um, there is a chance, Leon, that one of the teams might do it in the future, purely and simply because I think if you're winning the double in the Premier League now for the next few say seasons, you're probably the strongest team in Europe because I think this is kind of a little bit callback to our last episode. Like, I think the English teams are going to start dominating. So if you're the strongest English team that season, there's a chance that, obviously, you might be able to get it. But, again... I think, I think though, if I, if I like, my my final word on this is going to be, like, that um, the thing is, you're saying, oh, like, the treble's got extra shine or whatever, but you've just listed a whole bunch of teams that have done trebles ever since and how many teams have gone undefeated since. Yeah, but do we not have to put into context that the Premier League is a lot harder than a lot of these other leagues? Um, so you, you've seen how fierce it was back then with, with the top teams in the league to, to fend them off and then win your own league and then go and fight on the European front and win that as well. And then even the FA Cup, like I said, our route to the FA Cup wasn't easy. We had top teams we were playing against Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool. Um, it was it was difficult. Um, so I, I hear what you're saying, um, Q, but I think... As Z said, because we were the first people to do it, and I think the manner in which, the way we did it as well, I think for me it slightly edges it. I'm not taking anything away from the uh, um, Invincibles, but oh man, it's like you're trying to pick which one of your kids you love more, really, aren't you, Jimmy? Like <laughs> yeah. splitted like uh, the smallest hair in the world. Like yeah, it's tough. It's t- it's tough to choose. I think I'm maybe slightly biased because I'm a Man United fan. So yeah, uh, Reedy, you were going to say something before I jumped in. What was uh... What was in your mind, mate? Yeah, I mean, a, a couple of things as the conversation went on, but I suppose just to touch on the last point, I mean, you know, we're all going to be biased regardless. I think the emotions that the treble brought up for United fans and the emotions that the Invincible season brought up for Arsenal fans, you've got such a bond with that event that I don't think you could see past it. But still, for me, I come back to the fact um trebles have been repeated and you could talk about the different leagues being easier standards but in each league there is at least one major competitor and when Inter Milan went and won the treble that Italian league was tough you know Mourinho came in there and turned them around and that was a tough tough season they didn't have an amazing team and they went out and pulled the treble out of the bag and you know that, that I think that's the overall takeaway point is the fact that there are other trebles and other teams that have had incredible seasons where they've won like, as you alluded to with Barcelona, they won six, seven trophies in the one season, I think, on a couple of occasions. So I think um, after Guardiola, I can't remember his name now, who came Villanova. in. Villanova. Yeah. So, you know, th- those feats have been repeated and they will be repeated. The likelihood of an undefeated season, I mean, Man City nearly got there a couple of seasons back. I, I thought they were actually going to do it and take away that pride we have in the Invincible season but even they couldn't get it across the line in a season that they were absolutely dominating. So for me, and I don't think, I think this is something we'll never agree on between United and Arsenal fans, but it definitely has to be the invincible season. I wouldn't trade it. Just to pick up on things there, Reedy. 
remember nobody in uh, in England anyway has done the treble, so we can all agree on that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because there has been several teams abroad who have gone unbeaten in their season. So you can't, you know, that claim Li- about... Liverpool won the treble. Mm. League Cup. UEFA sure. Cup. <laughs> you had me for a second. <laughs> I was like, what, in 1980s? Because I was like, oh my dear. But no, all I was going to say is there's loads of teams who've been invincible in their league. Uh, so I, I don't think that's a point that you can make, which is, well, you can make it if you want, but I, I think... In the top you, fights? In the top leagues? Yeah, uh, AC Milan, 91-92, uh, Juventus, 2011-2012, uh, a few others as well, Celtic, like in the... I'm not well, to be fair, yeah. <laughs> Barcelona were very close to doing it a few years ago, weren't they? Yeah, and I think... Uh, there is because I watched that was uh, when Barcelona Barcelona went close a couple of years where they only yeah. had like one or two losses and yeah. like those losses were like not even against like Real Madrid Big or teams, Atletico yeah. it was like some small team where they had fifty shots and they went up the <laughs> other end and scored so it, it, don't get me wrong boys I think the reason it's a really good topic to discuss is because both are I mean ninety nine point nine percent of teams. Will never ever be able to. Yeah, do I mean, that. Z. In effect, like what you talk about there, really by proxy, is you're kind of asking an Arsenal fan and a Man United fan to say, like, who's the best football team? Like AC Milan in the ni- early nineties, Barcelona, like when under Pep Guardiola, Man United in the late nineteen nineties, or Arsenal when they were un- un- invincible. Like that's that's the discussion, isn't it? Like, so we could be here for an hour, like debating that, and like you'll get no answer. Like, so no, I'll just have to edit this in a way where it sounds like you boys just agreed with me when I said. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll move on because it is uh, one of those we'll keep on tuning and throwing. Oh yeah, Steal Bucharest as well. Uh, 87, 89. I think Celtic um, like actually did it in um, 2016. Like, so there you go. Well, the Rangers did it last season, didn't they? If we're counting these type of teams, I think there's a team in one of the North Conference leagues in England that like five seasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but have they won the treble, mate? Come on. Um, right, like, let, let's move on, boys. Let's move on. Um, let's talk about. I, I don't know if it's too soon, but. I think we would all agree the rivalry's still there, but it's kind of there's the Wenger uh, like Ferguson era kind of cooled towards the end, didn't it? Now, w- either of you guys specifically know around about when you think actually the rivalry kind of went cold, reasons behind it. I think um... from like from after we lost the undefeated run it slowly just started going downhill and Arsenal dropped off the mark. And you've got to put that in the context of the new stadium, which they've been planning from 2001 or so. But from from 2005 on, Arsenal just became a selling club. We were selling our top players every season. We weren't competing. And as a result, I think the rivalry just diminished. Yeah. Cube, I'm sure you've got loads of thoughts on this, mate. Well, I mean, I kind of... Realistically, that's that's the answer, isn't it? Like, because from the point we decided to build the stadium, like we, there's no way we could be competitive with like the top teams, and that kind of that almost coincided with the likes of 
Chelsea definitely getting like the crazy money and the amount of investment that they've spent, but Man City as well. Like, and I think that's the the, the almost the gamble that we took, if you like, is we didn't foresee those kind of like threats coming because I think we kind of thought like, oh well, what we'll do is we'll build our stadium, like we'll keep getting top four, we'll be up, up and there about, we'll still be able to like you know get some hidden gems through or whatever. And then I think Chelsea and then Man City came through and have completely changed the game. And I don't think we've ever really recovered from that. Yeah. Uh, Leon? Yeah, um, you know, they've both hit the nail on the head there, really. <clears throat> I think one of the th- things that also affected um, Arsenal was one of the, the things that really helped Wenger in the early days was he was buying a lot of these players, obscure players, quality players for, for nothing, really. And I think around about 2005, six a lot of the scouting networks and a lot of the teams had improved a lot. Um, so Man United and Chelsea and other big clubs were able to offer the same deals that Arsenal were able to offer. Um, and because they didn't have that advantage in the transfer market and because they were selling a lot of their top players, just like they've just mentioned, they started to diminish and they started to become a team that was only focused on getting in the top four rather than com- competing for the league. Um, and it's difficult because what they were doing, they were selling players like Henri, Burkamp, um, Perez, etc., and replacing them with players who just weren't of the the same ilk, the same quality. Um, and slowly and slowly, it became the the rivalry just died. And the, you, you noticed as well that Wenger and Ferguson became closer and closer because for Ferguson, he wasn't a threat anymore. He, you know, he was just like, well, this isn't a big game. Arsenal isn't a threat. And I think t- really towards the end, Ferguson had completely sussed out how Arsenal played. And we we used to we used to slap you home and away um, with ease. Really, I remember sometimes I remember playing against Arsenal, and you go to Highbury, and I'd be nervous, shaking before the game. And then I remember the last sort of three seasons we played you when Fergie before Fergie left, and I could predict we were going to win the game fairly easily. And we used to go there and win three nil, three one, two nil. It it just died completely, and it's through lack of investment, um, and it's a shame actually because Arsenal's a, a club with so much history, great supporters. Um, you know, it's one of those truly big clubs, um, probably the third biggest club in England. And it's a shame what's happened. We had was special. And I think, you know, in a, in a way, I would like Arsenal to come back up one day um, because <laughs> I, don't think in a way. Can, I don't think you guys can take any more banter that you've been getting for the last 10 years. Yeah, I've even stopped bantering there. Uh... Uh, I, I go easy on the banter, to be honest, to the Arsenal fans now. Uh, you do feel a bit of sympathy. There's there's um, one other thing I'd throw in there just before we move on from that, but yeah. um, ju- just as a, to call out and some appreciation, David Dean as well. You know, yeah, yeah, true. I mean, he left, I think it was 2007, and you, you mentioned the recruitment there. I mean, re- David Dean was involved with bringing in Dennis Bergkamp from before Wenger came in. He was involved with Thierry Henry, Vieira, Petit, Perez, Campbell, every, like all the top players that brought us that success. It was David Dean in the background making that club work. And then when you had that conflict over whether was it Usmanov or Kroenke should take power and you had David Dean and Wenger head-to-head on, a, on different sides of the fence, that was the end of their relationship. And David Dean left the club when he lost that that argument and you know his influence I mean, i'm not sure how long he'd been at the club i think he was there since he was a kid but l- losing that voice i think made a huge impact in the off the pitch as well yeah, yeah I, agree. I think uh, 
that was definitely a turning point. Dean leaving, and uh, I think he had quite a lot of influence over Wenger, didn't he? Because by the point uh, Dean left, Wenger was like basically uh, he had like in terms of football inside, um, he you know he he had a lot of control, which is what Fergie had as well. And I think under the right person, it's 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 good. I think with Wenger what David Dean and you guys, the Arsenal boys will have to correct me. He used to challenge Wenger in certain things as well. And I think they worked really well as a duo. Mm. Um, Once David Dean left, I think Wenger didn't have that person to bounce off. Um, That combined with what was happening in the background with, I think like you guys touched up on before the, I think, I think to be honest, mate, like there's definitely the kind of like the, the kind of two sides of the argument in terms of who who took over, but I think as well, like I think David Dean kind of, um, and it is kind of the class of philosophies really, because I think before that, up until that point, like we might go and spend a bit more more, more money on a player than Arsene Wenger maybe would have wanted, because David Dean would just go and get the deal done, and I think that that's why he wanted to have Usmanov in charge because Usmanov was the kind of the throw the money around like you know money's not a thing type thing. I think that's why David Dean wanted to go that way because he wanted to go out and just basically buy all the players. Um, whereas Arsene Wenger's not like that. Like Arsene Wenger wants to get, like feels like he's getting good value um, for a player and he likes to be able to like grow and develop a player. Um, and I think they kind of pick up on what Leon was saying about like, you know, are the likes of Henri and Perez and all these guys were leading the club. I don't necessarily think that was the problem. I think it was like, the fact that, in essence, we let them leave for, like, you know, bargain basement prices. So, like, we almost tried to hold on for them too long and sell them at a price that probably wasn't the right price for the club. Whereas, like, if maybe we'd sold them a few years earlier, we might have got some more money and then we could have reinvested in the in the team. But the way that Wenger looked at that, I think, was like, well, that player's not worth that money, so I don't want to buy him. Whereas I think David Dean was more of that, like, you know, oh, I'll sell him for 30 and I'll go and buy them three for 10. Like, that that makes sense. And I don't think Wenger sees it like that. I think can I, can I, sorry, go. Sorry, go. No, no. I think my problem with Arsenal, and it was sort of towards the latter stage of Wenger's career, was I understand you guys didn't have, you know, mountains and mountains of money to spend. But it was also, I found the type of player you were signing was wrong for the club. And what I mean by that is you had, before you had leaders, you know, you had Sol Campbell, you had Vieira, you had Adams, you had Petit, Henri, people who were leaders on and off the pitch. And then you were signing these players who technically, yeah, they were great, but they weren't ever going to lead you and, you know, galvanise a dressing room. And I think that's where you really went wrong because, you know, I think Sky Sports did a graphic in like 2014 or 13, and it actually showed that at the time Tottenham had spent less money than you, but they were miles ahead of you. And it just made me think that you you were just signing the wrong profile of players and obviously the quality of player. Because I always felt when we played Arsenal, you just had like the same, you were playing like on the right. And it was all the same type of players and also just no leaders in, in the dressing room. Um, and it's a long way from the team that was obviously um, one of the top teams in the, in the Premier League between 96 and, and 2004. And I think that was a massive part of his recruitment um, issues at Arsenal as well. No, I agree. Agree with that. I think. I think probably because it, it's it's because it was good to look back at this. I think because I I think maybe what he was trying to do at the time, and you know, I don't necessarily think this was right, but like 
we talked about it maybe a few weeks ago about like how Pep Guardiola came up with this concept of like keeping the ball as a defensive strategy. And I mm. think like that's what Wenger was trying to do at the time was to say like, do you know what? Like I'm going to lower bodies in the midfield. I'm going to like have people who can like, in his mind, like keep the ball and I'll have a passing style. And actually I won't necessarily need to have that like steal because I'll keep the ball. But I think the the problem with that was that we didn't effectively execute on that as a as a strategy. And actually you have to do that very, very well to be able to to pull it off and we didn't and therefore we got exposed and actually that you know it's it's quite fine margins there between like what he was trying to do and I could see what he's trying to do but we just we just weren't able to execute what he was trying to do. Do you guys not think as well um because I think uh, either you or Reedy mentioned it like slightly touched on it um you guys obviously sold a lot of players to Man City now do you not think Selling in this is obviously in hindsight, selling to them was probably a really bad move because you guys basically facilitated them. Oh, mate, we were bad sellers, absolutely. <laughs> like, we, 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 as you say, Z, and I think that's the bit that I'd say bad sellers, both in terms of, and I think Leon was in this as well, but bad buyers because I think the thing that Wenger didn't see happening is that the, the value of players was going up over time. Do you know I mean so? If we think about like, you know what a 5 million player might have looked like, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, Wenger didn't see the fact that like the overall value of players was going up. So actually he could spend 20, 30 million on a player and he could probably sell them in three years time for 40, 50 million. He didn't see that happening. So therefore he was progressively just trying to buy at like the cheaper and cheaper end of the market and was getting progressively worse and worse players. But it was odd, though, how, how many players you guys sold to, like, City. It was almost like, you, you, well, you're more than happy to take the money from them. And, like, how many players did, like, go over to City? Like, it was, like, I think there weren't much of a choice in the matter, though. If you think Pretty about where the, where the team was at the time, you know, they, yeah. they weren't competing. And you had players that were, you know, I mean, they say the club is meant to go and, contact the other club first before they speak to the player we all know that doesn't happen so those players had big money contracts being offered to them by man city to switch to a team that was actually competing you know rather than staying with arsenal where things were not progressing where things were slowly getting worse if anything so i think that arsenal was in a position where okay we're getting offered a decent amount for this player who's insisting he wants to leave and doesn't want to be here but we had to sell as well, didn't we? Because we had to, I remember, like, he said later on, didn't he, that effectively had to sell at least one player a year to be able to pay for the stadium. So, like, yeah. and, you know, so I think we had to sell. But I think Z's point is, like, let's just say, for example, like, I think we end up going to make it up, but, like, Nasri we sold for, like, 20 mil. But, like, could you have sold him for 15 mil to someone that wasn't in England? Like, I think that's the question, isn't it? Like, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's difficult, isn't it? Because, like you say, because if Nasri's saying... Well, I want to go to Man City because they're going to like triple my wages, like, and that's where I want to go. Like, it doesn't make it quite difficult. Like, who did we sell to Man City that was a big success there? Well, like, who, who did well, we sell that you're going? We want to keep. I don't. Well, I think I don't I think, think you wanted to sell Nazri at the time, did you? Yeah, we didn't. We didn't want to sell any of them at the time. Well, I think it's the thing, isn't it? Though, because it's and, and this goes back to Wenger as well. Because I think the thing that Wenger was very good at was building a system that players could play in so like you know yes any individual player we didn't want to want to lose but like 
I think Nasri is a good example of a player who was like an important part of the system that we were playing. I think mm. Adi Bayor, you could probably say the same thing. Although to be fair, I think like that almost facilitated like Robin Van Persie coming through as a player. Um, so that was probably right for us, if you like, to kind of let Adi Bayor leave. But yeah. um, but I think it's it's it was it was less like the individual players and the fact that like you lost so many like over a relatively short space of time and. It's difficult to attract players as well as that when you know that like oh which who's the next player that's going to leave like to to Man City. Do you think no. in hindsight um, with the TV money growing, um, would it have been feasible to stay at Highbury for you guys and just basically take the TV money? Well, I think not- the answer is I think the answer is yes, isn't it? Because I think I think actually in hindsight, if we, if, I mean I haven't looked at the numbers, but I bet you if actually what if what we've done is. We're taking the money that we spent on Highbury and we spent it and then sold some of those players later on and then used that as a fund to continue to invest and buy and invest and buy. I bet you that actually would have been a better strategy in the long term. Now, obviously, the thing is that you have to be able to execute that and you only get one shot of that. And if you get it wrong, like, you are in big, big trouble. Um, But I think, yeah, like, you know, the question there becomes, like, is it worth the risk? Because the stadium, like, actually pays off. And, like, you know, people are going to come every week and they're going to pay their money to go watch the football. So, you know, it's 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 an easy thing to say we should have done. But, you know, getting that right is not easy either. What were you going to say, Leon? No, I, I agree with that. And I agree with everything everybody's saying. But I, I, for me, it still goes back again to the type of players you were signing when you did have the money. Let me give you an example. 2011-12 season. You signed Perse Metzaker, Arteta, Andre Santos, Park Ching Yong, Joel Campbell, Alex Oxley Chamberlain, Gavinho, Carl Jenkinson. None of them were hit. Not one of them you could say, yeah, he was really good for the for the football club. You could maybe at push say Arteta was half decent, but these you've made seven or eight signings there, and all of them are awful. And that's the kind of example I'm trying to say. And if we go to the next season, it's the same again. You know, it's the type of players you're signing, I think it's like he opted for a certain style of player that just wasn't best suited for Arsenal, um, for the Premier League maybe. And players that just didn't have character or fight. You know, they're very neat and tidy in the ball, technically very good. But are they going to get you out of a, you know, that same old cliche, a wet, rainy night in Stoke? I don't think they were able to do that. And we saw that time and time again with Arsenal, that the ugly face reared itself every time they had tough games. They They would sort of fold and wilter. And I see that in this Arsenal side now. And a lot of the players unfortunately still Wenger players it's just they were good footballers but they're not they're not men who would go out there and fight for every every um every ball because sometimes in football you have to earn the right to play football and I think Arsenal lost that sorry sorry to interrupt you but I was gonna say do you not think um Wenger like prior to him leaving in those years where obviously they did no disrespect to the team but they were a bit of a soft touch for most of the big teams because they just knew like how to play against Arsenal. Is it a sense that Wenger was trying to do what Pep Guardiola does, but at a shoestring budget? I mean, the answer is probably yes. I mean, I think like, I do take Leon's point though. I think like, you know, it doesn't take a genius to work out that we haven't, we haven't bought like well in the market for a long time. Like, um, but, and I think, and I think, where I would kind of not necessarily blame Wenger, but it goes back to that David Dean point, doesn't it? Because I think that's the, if you like, the risk of having one person who is like, you know, 
as stubborn as Arsene Wenger was, like, and as almost like blinkered in terms of his worldview, is that like, you know, you don't go like, well, actually, hang on a second, like, is there a different way to approach us in, in the transfer market? And you know, I, I don't think we've we've Arsenal as a club have tried multiple iterations of different approaches in the transfer market, but seem to come up with the same results, which is that we still buy the same, very similar kind of players. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm looking at the squad list. And there's not actually that many players left from the Arsene Wenger era, really. But actually, like, it does kind of feel like that because, you mean, the squad doesn't feel like, you know, significantly different identity from when Arsene Wenger was still there. Like, I think you make a good point referencing Dean again as well because, like, I mean, what leaders have we signed since David Dean left? What player have you signed there that you can imagine in a in a strong Inter Milan team is the type of team I come to mind when I think of hard, hard work and leaders and teams. But like, I, I don't think we've signed anyone since David Dean left the club where you'd be like, that's the leader we need. You know, whereas previous to him going, you had Vieira come in, Campbell come in, Henri come in. And yes, obviously, you know, Henri had an influence there, but sorry, not Henri, Wenger had an influence there. But, you know, they were still bringing in leaders within the team and, you know, not only that, but I think the longevity of the back line in terms of Winterburn, Adams, Keown and Dixon, I, like I'd argue probably if David Dean wasn't there, Wenger might have moved them on much sooner. But it, I'd expect it was probably David Dean on the side pushing hard that these players have a role to play and this is what they bring. Yeah. I think one of the weirdest thing about in terms of, since we are talking about buying players, and I've mentioned this to Cube in the past about can you guys remember when Newcastle went through that period of just unearthing like all these players from the French league, like Tiote? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I used Cabari. to say to Cube, like uh, as a joke, like what's going on? Why is Newcastle like dipping into the market that Arsenal would normally have on lock? That was uh, so. That might be something to do, like with what? Because we've always believed, and we started off the um, podcast actually by saying. Wenger's revolutionised like scouting etc in the English game maybe we've not given David Dean enough credit because even like Burkamp came in prior to Wenger coming mm-hmm. so yeah yeah that's an interesting thought there that David Dean I, I mean I've never even thought about it that way because I've always thought Wenger's the man and he just basically everybody else caught up to him like everybody else knew where to look now like I, I think honestly, from an Arsenal fan point of view, you know the the new stadium and the Usmanov versus Kroenke, like that, that all happening at the same time, was like a nuclear bomb dropping and hitting that club. And the fact that it ended with David Dean leaving, it's just been Arsenal on a sliding scale ever since. Yeah, I mean, I think because uh, I quickly had a look while you guys were talking to see when Kroenke bought the um, bought the club. Uh, I think it was just a little bit after you guys kind of dipped. I think it's September uh, 2008 came on the scene. And then 2011, he took over. But what he has done since is he's basically uh, made sure that it's going to be really hard for you guys to get out of it because he's more interested in buying ranches than players, isn't he? That's it. Uh, But, I mean, he just to be clarified, he, he bought the club in 08 but he was already having talks in 07 before David Dean left. And what was happening was David Dean 
conflicted with the board and David Dean basically advised that he's selling all his shares in the club to Usmanov and was trying to push the board that way. I think, I'm not sure if Abramovich had come in already at that point. I think he might have done. Yeah, he was already, Abramovich yeah, was already yeah. in charge of Chelsea. Yeah. yeah. So I think this was a bit of a reaction to that. And then what you had was a conflict between Wenger, who was basically representing the rest of the board and David Dean, where you had Wenger saying, no, we need to go at Kroenke, a man who wants to have a sustainable club and build a sustainable ecosystem within the structure versus David Dean, who's going, no, money rules, money's coming, TV revenue's coming, you know, billionaires are getting involved in the game. This is the avenue we need to go. Yeah, I think uh, before we uh, go down this path, we better rewind a little bit because, firstly, it was meant to be a Man United uh, Arsenal rivalry. I think we're digging <laughs> a lot into how Arsenal. Comes this is like the post mortem of Arsenal, mate. <laughs> yeah, basically. Just a couple of things. Uh, firstly, in terms of rivalry, um, I think for me, um, I can tell you from my point of view as a fan when I noticed there was two things that happened when I said, right, Arsenal just aren't our rivals anymore in the sense of like when we're going for titles and things like that. The first one was when we were beating you guys um, it to that game, when it went to, I think, 6-1 or something like that, um, I could see our team taking the foot off the gas and uh, Fergie made some changes to kind of just Put, put, but like, I don't know how to word I think, exactly. But... I, think, mate, a bit, a bit, I remember that game. Maybe I'm getting my memory confused, but was it not when Nanny was like doing the juggling of the ball or whatever? Like, and I think that's the moment when you go, like, actually, he's just you know. he's just taking the piss now. Like, do you mean they're not even like trying? Like, I do remember he took like Anderson and somebody else off who were having like really, really good games. Mm. Um, and normally he wouldn't generally because again you guys will have to correct Leon you'll have to correct me mate I don't think we had like a big game coming up or anything like that I just saw that as there's 20 minutes left um they're not a threat anymore I feel a little bit sorry for my mate Wenger because they were already slowly like getting on good terms then so it, it felt like whatever Fergie did he put a little bit of a break on the team I think we only got another goal in like 20 minutes left of action because I, I think that could have easily have gone on to double figures if the team like kept their foot on it like am I am I wrong guys uh Leon like can you do you remember this or yeah yeah I do um I think uh, yeah I think maybe for you that's when it ended I think it ended at, at maybe a bit before that um but I do remember that and I think Fergie sort of held back a little bit and said look let's not completely embarrass them um, because he felt for us and Wenger and he's got a high level of respect for him as well. Um, but I think, you know, we, we sort of saw the transition of them becoming a, a, just a top four team, um, sort of 2008, 2009, um, even in regards to some of the players that we would give them, um, like Mikel Silvestri and, you know, players that we didn't want anymore, but Arsenal were happy to sign them. Um, and even us taking their best player. I know this is what, um, 2013, 12, 13. But that would never have happened had Man United and Arsenal been on the same level. There's no way that Robin Van Persie is coming to Man United in between 96 and 2004. Absolutely no way. But that just sort of cemented that Arsenal were an irrelevant team then. And we literally took their best player and won the league with him. Um, 
I think it's yeah. a bit harsh, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. No what I mean like is, go in that what, deep. no, but what I mean is, you become irrelevant as a as a title challenger. That's what. I'm but but and I think it and it's and I, I, I like I do take the point you make, and I, I think it's right because like if we look at say that season, like like the A two is like. You're right, it's not necessarily like the moment, but it is one of the watershed moments, isn't it? But if you look back on that season, like um I think we finished third in the league and you guys like lost the league. That was the league that the the year that you lost to Man City, like the last kick of the no, game. No, we, game. we yeah. won it when we got Van Persie. Are we talking about the season when we got No, Van no, I'm saying the the season we lost it eight, eight two yeah. though. That season yeah. was the season that you lost the title in the last yeah, yeah. the last game yeah. of the season. Yeah. But like yeah. so you'd say like oh there was a gulf between Man United and Arsenal, and there was because it was like 19 points like between us in that year. But actually, like you know, we were still the third best team in the league, and I think that's that's one of those things for us, like where Wenger almost was getting more out of the squad than he probably should have done in that in that time because like you guys were completely rampant over us in that game, but then we still managed to get top four when we probably shouldn't have that season. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, Leon, I think you kind of just to quickly. Uh finish off what I was saying. The first thing about the 8-2 game, so I don't know, I can't remember the exact facts, but I just remember rem- thinking, Fergie's taking the foot off here. He's actually he, he he's feeling sympathetic, which is not what you want to feel towards you, like one of your main rivals. But the second one where I just knew, right, that's it, like there's no coming back from this, this is not a rivalry anymore, is when you guys agreed to sell, obviously, Van Persie to us. That just, like, until the signing went through, till that like the day it was announced, I still didn't think you guys were going to really sell them. Like I might have teased your cubes saying he's coming, but I didn't believe that Arsenal were going. to Oh sell man, them. I knew we were. Like yeah. it was, it was obvious to me that was going to happen. But yeah, so, yeah, that that was all I was going to say is uh, those are the two things where I thought right. I think the the heyday of the Arsenal United rivalry is over. I mean. Obviously, me and Leon's probably of the same mindset. What What are you guys? I mean, from your point of view, when did you think there was like a, as in United pulled away, to put it in a certain way? I think was it was it oh six oh seven, and we'd gone from undefeated to suddenly losing eleven games in a season, and like it wasn't just that we were starting to lose so many games and i mean finishing 15 20 points behind the behind united it was the players that we had you know as we've alluded to earlier in terms of the signings we made in that period and thereafter you know we, we lost Vieira Henri um you know the, the two stalwarts of the club at that time and the standard of players we had the level of football we were playing the lack of competitiveness for me, for me, it was earlier. For me, it was sort of very quickly afterwards. I felt like we were dropping away and we weren't competitive. But I think if you think about standout moments, definitely the A2, I think, was one of the... Even though I didn't think we were going to do much on the day anyway, it was one of the most depressing moments as an Arsenal fan. <laughs> Did you know, uh, have you heard the anecdote about... Uh... Anderson, because we had a few injuries as well, and Fergie was actually a bit worried about that game. Have you heard about the Anderson and and antidote uh, antidote? Antidote. <laughs> yeah, it was antidote actually. We had injuries, but um, yeah, apparently uh, Fergie was stressing about the game, and he just turned around and uh, said something along the lines of, "Don't worry, Ando always kills Arsenal." 
<laughs> it turns out his record against Arsenal was something ludicrous. Like he hasn't lost against them for like seven, eight games or something like that. <laughs> so yeah, he turned it on. Um, anyway, we'll move on from the eight-two game. I know I wasn't planning to bring it up this much, boys. Apologies. It's mm. causing a little bit of pain. Yeah, sorry, sorry about that, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I thought that was, that was a little bit irrelevant. Come on, they were still going for top four at the moment. They're irrelevant now, but <laughs> uh, right uh, before we move on to the last part, I think we missed one little thing out in terms of the heyday, the mind games. What do you guys remember from that? I mean, I remember a couple of things, but one of the key things I remember is. Wenger's go to because you guys used to have a lot of red cards, Arsenal days, and Wenger's go to was I didn't see it <laughs> like literally it happened in front of him. He would just don't know to see, oh no, I didn't see me. I'm sure that's one of his innovations, like the, that phrase of like oh, I didn't see because that's like been copied like bit by every manager ever since. That's not like oh, I didn't see that. I do you, do you know what actually? I think um, Arsenal Wenger really bought a lot out of Ferguson. Um, because he kind of took him by surprise. He came in in sort of 97 and the year after they'd won the league. And I think um, Ferguson adopted a lot of the things that, that Wenger was doing um, with his team. And, you know, in that period, uh, you know, I think he had 100% respect for him in terms of the way the team played, the personnel, um, the way he was sort of implementing a lot of these things around the football club. And I think he really bought a lot out of Fergie because I'll be quite honest, I think sometimes within that period of time. We won league titles purely based off Sir Alex Ferguson because I actually thought Arsenal had the better team yeah. uh, a few of those seasons, but it was purely down to him. And I think Arsene Wenger really drove him to another level. Um, and that's testament to him um, in that regard. Don't um, you think, he, I, if I asked really? you, here's a question for you. Forgetting about sort of trophies and success, which manager between Ferguson and Wenger had the the greatest influence on making the Premier League what it is today, and on the development of football and the Premier League. It's a tricky one. Mm -hmm. I would, I can see both points of view in terms of like Wenger, obviously what he bought, and we've talked about it like diet scouting. Although, I think what Fergie did is he because of the longevity can't get my words out because of the <laughs> longevity one of the key things he's shown and which very few managers if any have been able to do since is he's changed with the times and it's really hard i'll give you an example i think and i think i've mentioned this to cuba before in our private message back in the day um i think wenger falls into that trap which is when he came he was fresh he had new ideas but at the end, he was still trying to do those ideas, but the game had partially either caught up or moved on, however way you want to kind of... I think caught up is probably the right way to phrase it for Wenger because of, like, you know, all the clubs having a wider network, everyone obviously adopting a better diet. Um, so I was going to use some one example like uh, Jose Mourinho, excellent coach when he was at his prime, but he's not been able to adjust with the times as in he's still trying to manage these current players to or right rather as if they were like players from 10 years ago and he's he's not getting the same results 
I mean, yeah. Look, I think it's good... because I agree with you. Zing. I think it's... I think think I think it's interesting because what Leon was saying there about like oh like Wenger pushed Fergie to new heights, but like the the reality is like Fergie is the benchmark, like um, in my opinion, um, and it's something that Leon said the other week about tactical malleability, and I think like a lot of managers in the modern game have learned that from Ferguson, like where Ferguson would do changes or even things at the club, like to have an impact and have an influence on like his players and the game. Like, so, you know, the concept of like using all your subs at half time or whatever, like that's the type of thing Fergie would do, like just, just to get a reaction from his players. Like, and it was that we talked about mind games, but like his ability to influence the psychology of his team, um, and I think probably the thing as well about how all the money's coming at the Premier League, like, I don't forget, like, Ferguson's role in basically, like, because Man United absolutely dominated, like, the kind of the initial phase of the Premier League for probably the first 10 years. Like, and I think that, like, you know, Ferguson's, like, uh, influence in making the Premier League, like, as an attractive product as it is, like, to get these billionaires coming in at the Premier League, like Fergie's, Fergie's a lot of the reason why I think that the money's coming at the Premier League rather than into say La Liga or Serie A or, or whatever. Um, like, yeah. I think uh, for the Premier League as well, uh, I think the point I was trying to make is in that sense, although he hasn't bought it specifically to the league, really, as in you know being able to change with the times, that's something unique to him. And many have probably tried since and failed. But mm. what he's bought, just to touch up on what Cuba said, if I'm gonna like kind of simplify it, he's mind games is one of those, which I think it's a obviously psychology is another way of putting it, like you know, talking about the referee's decision, which was usually perfectly fine, and he would say something ridiculous so that like the headlines, the day afters, or what Fergie said about the referee instead of the fact that United lost. An important game, and um, also in in terms of bringing through youth, I think nobody before Fergie, especially in the English game anyway, did it to that that level in one go. In the sense I'm talking about, obviously the class of '92 when they came through. And Leon, you'll have to kind of step on uh, step in and help me out with some of the facts here. If I'm not mistaken, we tore up a lot of the. The team that team, won the first yeah, title. Not, yeah, 94-95 season. Yeah, we did. We sold Kinchelskis, Ince and Hughes, I think, that season. Yeah. Yeah, so we sold some big players and then we bought in, you know, the young guys, which everybody said that he was going mad. But what I was going to mention about that, not just in the Premier League, really, um, and obviously you guys as well, I think that's influenced uh, in Europe as well. If you look, the teams that have done the best, um, like uh, where they've been really successful, most of their like their core group has been from their youth academy. Like it's not being bought. Mm-hmm. Is, is that fair to say? Like Barca, yeah, uh, Bayern Munich, uh, um, Bayern Munich, two thousand and twelve or whatever. Whenever they've done the treble. Um, both of those had their own players coming through, very similar to like the class of '92. Am I mistaken? Yeah. What do you guys think? I'd agree with that. Um, you know, and 
obviously fostered a lot of success with those teams. But I wouldn't say, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's a case that Wenger didn't do that either. You know, I mean, <laughs> he had a couple of failed attempts where I think there was the signing of, was it Ramsey and a few other British players all at the same time where he was bringing in these youths. And I think, you know, the, I think Wenger unfortunately gets a lot of, in my opinion, false criticism. Um, you know, you think about the period in which the decline occurred and we've touched on all the different factors, so I won't rehash that. But, you know, during that period, you know, unfortunately, Wenger's reputation diminished and we've spoken about how he didn't adapt with the times. He didn't foresee the influx of the TV revenue. He made poor signings. But I think, you know, maybe a bit more accurate is something you touched on earlier, whereby he was attempting to create that style, which we later saw at Barcelona, where, you know, you had these four creative ball playing center midfield players who would just, you know, change positions regularly. And it was a complete modification of how teams were playing football. So I do think that he didn't fail to adjust or fail to adapt. Def I would say on the financial side, in terms of the signings, he definitely did. But I think from a from a tactical or playing perspective, I think he was still always trying to develop. And he did try to go down that avenue that you're touching on of, you know, bringing the players through the club. But on a higher level, definitely. I mean, I think the, the best teams we've seen have been the teams that have successfully done that. Can I ask you a question, Reedy? Um, I, I do agree with most of what you said is, though. But given the fact that he was trying to implement that style at Arsenal, but knowing that he didn't have the quality of player to do it, isn't that a certain type of naivety? In, instead of changing his tactic and saying, actually, these players are not up for that, I need to go with a different style. Because for me, he persisted with that, with players who, were, who weren't good enough to, to, to implement that, that style of football. Um, and it goes back to what um, Cube said, you know, we've seen managers who change their style, they adapt it depending on who they're playing, when they're playing. For me, Arsenal seemed to always play the same way. It didn't matter who they were playing, you know. Mm -hmm. There was a lack of tactical awareness from from Wenger at times. Well, I um, think he, he almost he almost doubled down, didn't he? It was it was really weird, yeah. wasn't it? Because it was almost like he's like he almost like became more defiant, like when, yeah. at, the, at the point where he scored. Oh well, no, actually, no, I'm just gonna because like it's because it, the tactical kind of development. It's it's interesting because like if you look at the team that he inherited, it was like a five four one that he then made into a five a four four two. Then he, he then made it to a kind of a, a four five one, and then arguably kind of a four two three one. So I think he has he has a, adapted these tactics over the time. But I, I think you're right, Leon. Like it's almost like he's 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 arrogance or his um his stubbornness to being like, well, no, now I'm just going to play this way, and I'm going to play it like every week, no matter who I play. Like you know, it's and it was it was quite frustrated, like because you could see, like you know, and I think you said it before, which was that like. You know, towards the end, like you knew Man United were going to rock up, and they knew how Arsenal were going to play, and they knew how to like play against that, and they knew how to get the win. Whereas Invenger must have known that as well, but he was still like, "No, I'm still going to play the way that I want to play, mm. like just because I want to play this way." Don't the best managers do that though? I, I, I mean, okay, maybe not, not in totality, but if you think about Pep Guardiola, you know, he has a style that he wants to play. The system is interchangeable. You know, whether you have inverted wing backs, whether you have inverted wingers, whether or not you're playing people in the half space, the, the, those pieces are all continuous. The formation, the structure 
that that might modify but he's never going to change his style of play to playing long ball football or playing direct and i think you know arsene wenger was in that same mold whereby he might change the system but he's certainly not going to change his overall style of play and whether or not that's you know a kudos or whether it's a criticism i think every individual would debate personally i think it's a criticism i think you have to adapt if the players can't do what you're asking them to do for me you know we talk about bringing it back to the united arsenal we talk about fergie wenger i mean ultimately ferguson was the better manager you know he had more success he adapted better and played different styles of football whilst he was there and adapted to the situations he was in you know but Wenger had his mold and he wasn't going to adjust from that. I, th I think one of the Wenger's biggest issues, well, I understand, you know, in terms of the style of play, and you can play a certain style against weaker teams in the Premier League. Yeah. I think one of the things that was holding against him a lot was the fact that he would rock up to Old Trafford, Anfield, um, Stamford Bridge, and just carry on playing the same style of play. Because I think there was a, a stat where you hadn't won or scored an away goal at top 16 for like five or six years. And that that is naivety. If you're mm -hmm. thinking that you can keep going to these grounds, playing the same way and not adapting your tactics. And the one game he did adapt his tactics was against Man City away. You won 2-0. And he just said, well, we're going to sit sit deep, be compact. And you won the game. And it's just things like that. I just thought there was a lot of naivety with, with Wenger towards the end um, in basic things. Because you just said Pep doesn't adapt his tactics. Well, he actually does. Because the game that they beat Liverpool to win the title before, I think it was 2017-18, or the, the season before Liverpool won, they played them at City's ground. City had less possession than Liverpool because he realised that he can't play this way against Liverpool. So he shows he can adapt. Yes, in other games, they always have a lot of possessions, but he realised, well, Klopp's got my number. I need to change how I'm doing things. And that's probably the first time I've seen Pep change his style of play because he doesn't really. He does. He's all about possessions. And like you said, he has fast space, inverted fullbacks, all these types of things. But he, he, he has changed a lot from, from the way Klopp has realised I now to play against Manchester City because he's won against him more than Guardiola's beating Klopp. Um, but he's identified that he needed to change in I order think, to to get over uh, one over on him. Sorry. Well, I think uh, no, you're absolutely right. I think that's the thing, isn't it? That, that you know, if if we went through kind of like the top managers like in the Premier League, you'd kind of say effectively all the best ones are like kind of those chess players, aren't you? And what you're saying there is that like almost like Pep knew the fact that like. Klopp thought he was stubborn and he played a certain way to be able to get around Klopp. Do you know what I mean? So he, it was almost like Klopp wasn't necessarily expecting him to change. Like, yeah. you know, and, and all the best managers, it's not just like tactical malleability, is it, in terms of being able to change during the game or whatever. But I think it's that, like, anticipating and trying to work out, like, what the other manager's thinking and being able to get your team to execute the game plan that you want. And I just yeah. think Wenger didn't have any of that, did he, really? that was the That's the point, really. Just and also, just, to, just just as well, sorry to, to talk. No, no, We've no. Also, also known, if you're aware of like Man City, especially in the Champions League with Pep Guardiola, he overthinks it too much because he actually tries to adapt his team exactly for the opponent. And sometimes he doesn't just stick to actually what he should stick to and which is the best team. He tries to double-guess himself with some of the formations he's played. Like even in the final last year, he didn't play any defensive midfielders. Um, so he is somebody who's always constantly thinking and thinking, how do I innovate? How do I implement a different style so I can beat a coach? Um, I think he's always going to be a sort of possession-based coach, but he was always thinking about how he can change and 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 how we can overcome um, obstacles, I think. I, I, I get the point. I, I would just argue that 
they're not really a change in style they're nuances within the style you know it, it's not that he's overhauling the, the style of play that he's or the opportunities that he's trying to create this the system might adapt the the timing of the when they're pressuring the ball might change you know where the defensive line sits could adapt whether or not the fullbacks coming in and creating a third central midfielder might change but the actual style of play with the ball i don't think drastically changes with guardiola I think yeah, yeah, yeah it, most of the time, yeah, you're right. Um, all I was gonna say before you mentioned that as well, just I think Guardiola is probably the wrong manager to kind of. Here's an example. Uh, no, no, it's not. And I'm not actually giving Guardiola a compliment. That's what I say here. What I'm saying is, Guardiola is a manager who can go to a team who's already got like an elite squad and make them better, as in like with his system he can get them playing like you know specific type of football if you're arsenal and if you're arsene wenger it's a totally different ball game it, it kind of calls back to what i said before as in like you just didn't have the budget to play in the style the guardiola style like i don't think if guardiola goes to i don't know uh, say sheffield united i think if you put for example a team like sheffield united when they came up to the premier league I think someone like Klopp would do better in that team than Guardiola trying to play Guardiola's style. Are you guys getting the point what I mean? Yeah, I do get the point mm. what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, I think, yeah. but I think his experience has only ever been, really been a lead team, so hasn't it, if you think exactly, about it? Exactly, exactly. That's why Wenger being similar to him kind of worked against him because Wenger just doesn't have the parts. He, he's trying to race F1 cars with a Ford Escort. <laughs> <Wait. Yeah. laughs> um, anyway, anyway, uh, I think both both managers did revolutionise and change the league in different ways. Uh, overall, uh, if I was to round it up, I think just because of the longevity, I would say obviously Saf just edged it, uh, Fergie. Before we uh, actually before we move on, anything else to add on that point, guys? Anything we've missed? Um, we've we've talked a lot about Wenger, but I quite just like I'd be interested to hear your kind of thoughts on like Fergie in terms of like his kind of like main strengths and weaknesses because obviously we've talked a lot about Wenger, but not that much about Fergie. Um, yeah. Sorry, Q, refer to him as God. <laughs> <laughs> for, for, for me, he's just Alex Ferguson. There's no X in front of that. <laughs> Sheer disrespect. Uh, yes. Um, Leon, do you want to go first, or do you want me to jump in? No, you go, mate. You go. I've talked a lot. Well, he 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 took over when obviously I was born in '86. So, I mean, and by the time he sorted the team out, is pretty much when I started getting into like understanding football a little bit. Like you know, you get your early memories. So by the time Fergie like was flying, that's when I was like obviously following football. Um, all it was. Yeah, it's really, really odd going from a manager that you've known for most of your lifetime to someone like Moyes. Um, uh, in terms of Fergie himself, just going back on his strengths, I don't know why I wanted to have a quick go at Moyes there. He's always <laughs> at the back of my mind. Um, his man management, I think, is, I would say, his main, main asset. Um some of the squads that's won the league under Fergie, I think other managers would probably come fourth with them or even lower. Well, seventh if you're Moyes. 
Um, <laughs> uh, aside from that, I think in terms of how we managed to get, like the media seemed to like not eat out of his palm, but after he left, we've lost a lot of like control of the media. There's a lot of like BS stories, like the the aura that he had around him. That's and again, he built it up probably just before I fully started like getting bang into football. Obviously, uh, he probably's had a period where he had to build this up. But do you, do you guys what Leon? Do you know what I mean by his aura? Like yeah, saying, yeah, hundred percent. He wasn't. He wouldn't get questioned even if he was. I mean, sometimes they did. Like when in the early stages when he had the class of ninety two. Um, I'm just drawing a blank. I'm just like trying to think what else. Um, Leon, go ahead, mate. You take over. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, he he was incredible. He's a, he's a one-off. Um, this I think Z mentioned this before. His ability to evolve over four decades um, and still be successful and being able to know how to deal with players from different areas, um, build four successful teams, still dominate um, in his ability to develop players. Um, is Ability to to understand when players are sort of dropped off a little bit and from the club, even when they were, it was quite surprising to fans at times. Um, his ability to create this winning belief within the squad and keep everyone hungry um, year after year after year. And, you know, he talks about how he used a lot of psychology in that. Um, one of the things that Fergie was also brilliant at as well is he always brought people in to cover up his weaknesses. Um, so good number twos, um, you know, Carlos Quiroz, uh, Rennie Mulestin, um, who were maybe a bit more tactically aware and also just to help him adapt as he kept moving through the decades. Um, his ability to identify players, um, both in the UK and abroad, um, and also just the way that he he ran the football club in his aura, um, it was something special. I mean, I think me and Z were spoilt to a, to a large degree because we kind of were born into an era where we just won everything uh, all the time. And we became very expectant of that. And I think we've sort of struggled the last sort of seven to eight years because now we know what it like, feels like for other clubs, <laughs> not winning stuff and, and not being successful. And I just, you know, it's hard to really speak about the man because to sustain that level of success and let's not forget he was successful at Aberdeen as well. He broke that stranglehold between Celtic and Rangers, won a European title there. I think he won three league titles and, and two Scottish cups. Um, you know, he's, he's a remarkable um, manager, one-off and like Cube said, he's the benchmark. Um, yeah. Um, not only changing himself as well, Leon, like how he's rebuilt us like numerous times whilst he yeah. was in charge. That's yeah. A, yeah, that's not something many. I mean, well, I mean, he if you, spent you got you think about this, right? Because we talked about Barcelona the other week, didn't we? And like how hard, how how, and obviously it's been exacerbated by financial crisis or whatever. But like how hard that is to rebuild a club like a Barcelona. But as you say, Fergie's done it like what three, four, five times, like rebuild times, yeah. the club. Like it's crazy. I'll tell you what, boys. Um, we'll uh, we'll round it off soon. Um, just wanted to quickly do a little. Fun thing at the end. Uh, I don't know how fun it'll be. We'll probably end up arguing over this. Uh, I've done a quick 11, best 11. Uh, we'll finish off on this and we'll have a quick chat over. Obviously, you guys change it. So, on mine, obviously, a combined of Arsenal, 
the era we were talking about the heydays and um specific like the main players from those teams i've done a quick 4-3-3 formation uh i'll tell you my team and obviously you guys have an input so i've put Michael in goal um Irwin is right back. Stam, Saul Campbell, Ashley Cole. Um, Vieira, Scholes and Keane in midfield. Then Giggs, Rude and Henri. Um, yeah, I think I had uh, Burkamp in instead of Giggs trying to fit him in. But, but just for the formation, I ended up... Well, I, I reckon probably, if I think, think about this, like, I mean, obviously, it's, it's kind of an impossible task, isn't it? But I think Dennis Irwin's probably like one of... I'm gonna. I don't know if I'm gonna say this, but like, what are probably the most underrated players like in the history of the Premier League? I think like because you've put him right back, and like, if you think, I think I'm sure like for a time he was like probably was, like the best right back and the best left back like in the division. Like, um, so he like he's absolutely immense. Like I think he's top top quality player. Um, for me, I don't know how controversial this this would be. Uh, I probably would have Rude out, and I'd put Burkamp in. Um, because I think Burke, like I think Leon said it earlier on, like Burkham is probably the best player we've signed as Arsenal. Like I still watch him on YouTube now. Like it, it's just his vision and his passing and his way to pass and his intelligence, his football and intelligence. Like he's just an absolute supreme player. Like um, and don't get me wrong, like you know, obviously Ruud van Nistelrooy, like tremendous player. Like you know. One of the the best finish finishes you you guys have had, but I don't know. Like I think, kind of in in the role that Burkham played, like I think he was probably more pivotal pivotal to the to our team than Van Nistelrooy was to your team. Um, so I'd probably switch Burkham in for Van Nistelrooy. Like, Reedy, uh, you there, mate? I am. I am. Um, <laughs> if you need to take off, do you want to have an input on this? And then I know you need you're a little bit short on time, so. Yeah, um, I, I can't remember the whole team you named out, but I suppose if, if I think of my best 11 between the two, mm-hmm. you know, you, you've, I don't think we can argue too much with Schmeichel. I know Keane's not a big fan, but <laughs> <laughs> but, but he, he was a bit of a legend. Um, Dennis Irwin all day long for me, um, okay. top, top left back. I think if we're talking about the the 96 to 2004 period, yeah. I'd probably say center half. I, I'd probably go Tony Adams, Yapstam. I, I can't see anyone getting past those two together. Um, right back, that's a tough one. Um, ooh, I'd, I'd probably give it to Gary Neville. <laughs> as, as just as a bit of like, he was consistent he played the same level nearly every game he wasn't a superstar but he was solid yeah Yeah. midfield i mean i don't think anyone's going to argue with Vieira and Keane slotting in there no up i'll skip the other midfielder for a moment (laughs) and come back (laughs) um up front i I don't think anyone's going to argue that thierry Henry has to be in there and if we think about that period in time in the strikers United had, I, I'm going Dennis Burkamp all day long, um, which means then Giggsy has to play up top in a 4-3-3. Giggsy has to go in there. And my third set of midfielder, Paul Scholes. Paul yeah. Scholes. I mean, majestic, majestic. But Vieira, Keenan, Scholes in midfield, 
with Burkamp, Henri and Giggs ahead. You've got two pacey runners and one of the most creative forwards we've seen in the Premier League. That That's the team for me. Yeah. I mean, uh, to be fair, mate, uh, uh, I had Burkamp in. Um, a little bit of a, a info for you guys when I was growing up. Obviously, my room had 99% like United players. The one Arsenal player I had uh, in terms of like a poster of was Burkamp. He was Ooh. just... He was um, obviously in the long kit, though. Yeah, he was He was quality. To be fair, the only reason I've got Rude in there is just because I think he's a good point man, isn't he, when it, when it comes to scoring. But then I guess you could drop Verkamp into like a little bit more withdrawn role creating. I mean, I'm getting into tactics a little bit. I mean, I know we've all, like, we've, I noticed we've all copped out here because I'm sure the prevailing formation at the time was four four two, like, and it seemed to come with a four four three. You try and do a four four two. I do that. I do four four two. Like, your wingers are Giggs and Perez, aren't they? Really, do you mean? But they're both left side, and then you put Henri, and he's kind of like left of a three potentially like you I mean it's it's i don't know who the best well, on the, the, on well, the, the right the is the but... problem i found is you have to leave vieira scores or keen out <laughs> like... yeah you can't do that can you well no but i mean that's that's i think probably if you if you're picking up and this is this is the kind of the if you're picking a proper team scores would go in and then oh i mean phew, trying to pick between vieira and keen it's just a phew, that's that's impossible really um so, so I won't do it. I'll go four three three as well. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's very difficult. You have to kind of do yeah. that because I think Vieira, Skulls, and Keane deserve all three of them deserve to be in the team because they were that good. And it's between the three. Um, I, I'm I'm in agreement with most of your team actually. Um, Z, apart from Gary Neville at right back, I'd put Dennis. Out. No, no, I had uh, Owen in. I think uh, what do you call it? we had the chat before and i think oh, it was Mr. a good shout i agree yeah, yeah, yeah. i think um reedy would ended you, up putting him in would you have sol over adams or because he mentioned adams there yeah, yeah i would i, I would have sol i would have sol because I, mean, I mean i do get the point about tony adams and i think as an arsenal fan like tony adams is quite like an emotional one like um because obviously he's like mr arsenal um but yeah, I mean, I think Sol Campbell was just an absolute, like, immense, immense player. Like, um... yeah, he was. Yeah, and and uh, you guys managed to uh, get him for free as well. Yeah. That's why I like, I like twice, him even twice. more, mate, because he's free. <laughs> twice, though. You signed him twice, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, you signed him on free twice. I think once when he was like 36 or something like that. But yeah. It wasn't like anything legit. But uh, yeah, I think. Uh, just as well you guys got him for free. No one Venga, he would have been like, no, I'm not paying five million for <laughs> Five million for a centre-back, no chance. <laughs> Going back on uh, what you mentioned about David Dean, imagine if David Dean was uh, still in charge and when you guys were chasing Suarez. <laughs> he, do you think he would have let you guys go in with that uh, oh, 50 million? Mate, I honestly, pound? like, because I, I think I said to you at the time, like, that, I mean, obviously that was a bit of a farce of a, of a, of a thing, but, like, for me... Suarez for Arsenal at the time was a break the bank kind of player. Like I literally would have emptied the bank account to get Suarez. Like, um, but anyway, that's another, yeah, that's another story for another conversation day. Conversation for another day. Um, we'll wrap up anyway, boys. We're nearly hitting two hours. I think we knew this one was going to be a bit of a longer one. Um, any uh, anything to add before we we finish? 
Um, no. No. All right. No worries. Um, just for our audience as well, I'll put uh, all of our guys' like, um, social media handles so if they want to speak to anyone or complain any directly to anyone for any, any claims they've made about their teams. I'm going to start saying like more controversial <laughs> things, Z, and then just like, just make my Twitter handle your Twitter handle. <laughs> uh, mate, I, I don't think you need to do that. I get enough... Uh... <laughs> enough people probably is hating on me on there right i'll uh i'll wrap it up on that note have a good night gentlemen cheers man i think towards the end of that episode a lot of united fans might have picked up on my unhealthy bitterness towards david moyes and him ever being allowed to manage manchester united um anyway listening back to that episode reminded me how blessed United fans of my generation were to be able to have Sir Alex as the manager for most of their childhood and uh, a lot of their adulthood as well. Um, Also I guess you can say we were lucky to see uh, Arsene Wenger, another great of the game, at the peak of his powers too. Really enjoyed uh, recording that episode, hopefully you guys enjoyed it too. Thanks for listening and we will be back next week. 